It's game time. This is the game on News Radio KMAN. So, Brandon Peoples, our news director, needs to chill out because he got back to the station earlier this afternoon. And he has been hooting and hollering. He's been strutting around like he's Ric Flair. And he's been telling everybody earlier today that he interviewed the voice of the Chiefs, Mitch Holtis. And I'm like, Brandon, have a cup of decaf. Let's settle down. Mitch Holtis is the man. The myth. The legend. But there's been three people in this... uh, in in the station all afternoon, and he's been going on for hours. Welcome to the game, Mitch Fortner and Troy Coverdale. I don't know what that event was earlier today, but Mitch Holtis was in town mm-hmm. earlier today. Chamber-related, I believe. Okay. So not exactly sports-related? No. Mm-mm. Okay. So it's probably a lot of things I wouldn't understand is what you're saying. Not necessarily. I mean, you're a sharp guy. That would be – Mitch Holtis is so versatile – that and I'm sure because of who he is, the conversation would you know take a turn into a direction of you know you do bring up the cast and the Chiefs. Oh yeah, but he can entertain any crowd. Mm-hmm. Chamber event, K State event, 4H event, <laughs> Lions Club event, <laughs> RCPD event, whatever it is. It's Mitch Holtis. He can entertain any crowd. He's going to find out uh, what all he can do when the NFL draft comes up here in a few weeks. There's another guy that can entertain any crowd, and that's Drum Tang. He had a press conference earlier today. Unfortunately, I wasn't able to get there, get to it. I uh, did not receive the uh, audio yet, so unfortunately I'm not going to have that audio, but I'm sure we'll hear some of it tomorrow on the K-Man Morning Show. Kind of a postseason wrap. And it's kind of like what Wyatt and I did yesterday with Drum Tang. We got him on for about 15-ish minutes. Just kind of wrapping up the season. I asked a I asked a question during that pre, not the press conference but the interview yesterday. And it's kind of like, I was like the first time we had him on it was you know right after he got hired, and you know I just I had to ask the question because everybody was like, is he going to hire Shane Southwell? Shane Southwell going to be one of the assistants? So I was like, well nobody's asking him the question. I'm going to just go ahead and do it. And and he gave me a one word answer. I was like, this guy hates me already. He doesn't like me. I blew it. I blew it with the new head coach. I'm the first person in the media that he doesn't like. So I was like, all right, there's only going to be one question I'm going to ask that may push the envelope a little bit. And I asked about the transfer portal and if there's a player from Baylor that happens to jump into the portal, is he comfortable with going after that player, trying to recruit that player to come to K-State? Because, you know, Scott Drew's his boy. They're brothers. You know, that's actually a very good question because you're – getting into the whole conversation about it's a guy who was playing for one of your best friends. Right. Drum Tang answered it extremely well. Yes, they are boys, brothers. They love each other, and they respect each other. But, of course, you know, it is these players jumping in the transfer portal, and it would be vice versa. If Scott Drew wanted Ish Masood, or 
and this is, you know, kind of what I was referencing because this was a big name that did jump into the portal in LJ Cryer, who is probably right now, I think there's no doubt about it, a top five player in the portal. And by the way, has a ton of experience. He hasn't played 90 games yet, but is a guard, knows Jerome Tang. Mm hmm. I think this would be a pretty good addition and exactly what this team would be looking for to fill in one of those three spots that they're looking to pick up in the transfer portal. So what they would do is they would basically just call each other, just say, hey, I have interest in recruiting so-and-so. Would that be cool? Can you tell me a little bit about him, vice versa? Yeah, there is an absolute mutual respect there, and they would be, each other would be comfortable with recruiting each other's players if they were to jump into the transfer portal. But like going back to the comfort thing, I was like, well, there's also the option to take themselves out of the portal and stay with that team. Um, so again, I, I I thought Drum Tang handled that very well, but I did want to get that answer and want to ask that question because of LJ Cryer being now in the portal. And we've seen a number of Big 12 players jump into the portal. I think he would be number one on that list. And really, I don't know about number one on that list when it comes to the whole country and the whole portal. I mean, guys are jumping in every day. But LJ Cryer, you know, who was, gosh, really good this year, double-digit scorer, didn't turn over very much, great three-point shooter. I think I think he'd be perfect. But that's, you know, it's a long way down the road. And I think... You know, Drum Tang and company are getting probably really close to really hammering in to the recruiting process, and I'm sure they are already. We're we're seeing John Rothstein and others tweet out that this certain individual is receiving interest from a list of 20 schools. Mm-hmm. L.J. Cryer's gonna be one of the hottest ones out there, but you also see K State show up on a lot of guys' lists, not only that these players have heard from, but also players that say, man, I really have this interest in K-State or K-State in this other school or whatever. That doesn't necessarily mean K-State has high interest in that player. I think at this time where we're currently at, that there's going to be a lot of guys interested in K-State. K-State may not be so interested in that player Mm -hmm. or maybe not thinking they're good enough. They're not high on the priority list. And that's simply because of the culture that has been has developed this season, the reputation that Coach Jerome Tang and this team have developed this past season. Because every player has social media. Every player in the country saw Jerome Tang and the team vibing to Lil Baby before games and that camaraderie. I mean, Jerome Tang and K-State with that, I think, became – the cool kid in school became the popular kid in school. There's teams across the country. Now I, I'm not saying stealing it, but they're, but they're also doing it now mm-hmm. because it was really cool to watch. Everybody kind of got into the, all right, this song is cool. I can clap to it. This is really fun. I'm vibing along with K state. Now they're popular. Now they're the cool kid in school. Other kids want to hang out with the cool kid in school. They want to be popular. They want to have fun. They want to be, they want to have the spotlight on them. Now, there, I mean, 
what I all just said there when it comes to, you know, there might be players that have more interest in K-State than K-State has interest in them. Like, I don't have the exact facts about that. It's all opinion on my side. But I don't think that's too crazy to think. No, not at all, because you're at a point where when someone puts their name in the transfer portal, the communication, well, should not have truly started at that point. Not that I'm accusing anyone of anything untoward, but we know how these things go. The fact is that you know kids are going to always have an eye on opportunities at this point if they're going into the transfer portal. That means that they're going to have assessed where they want to go and where they think that they could be a fit. Absolutely. And that's when that's the point that they start at. While the schools start at that point of looking at the players and going, okay, here's what we're trying to do with our program. Where do they fit in? I guess kind of the subject of this segment, you know, I I, I was going to jump in and just start talking about UConn, but then I got into the thought of you know LJ Cryer and got thought back to my question yesterday with Tang about would he be comfortable with recruiting players from Baylor? You know, it's kind of turned into now. I'm just kind of thinking on the fly here about how excited I am about the next few months and about who could start popping up as those potential names. You know, um, Antoine Davis from you know Detroit Mercy. Was, I mean, that was a storyline for weeks about is he going to become a Wildcat? This is one of the best, if not the best scores. I think he finished second place in yes. NCAA tournament or NCAA basketball history in scoring, and he tore it up at, at Mercy, but he stayed to play with his dad as head coach. Had he had one more game, he probably would have broken it. I know because they're trying to get into the CBI, CBI, and and the, you know CBI. Didn't have one this year, right? And uh, they did, they but did. it's too expensive, right? To, that to would play. be it. Mm-hmm. Too expensive to play, so he didn't set the record. But I mean, last year was quite the roller coaster where you got into the summer months and you didn't. There weren't as many players signed and ready to play for K State, committed at least. And you start to think, oh man, this isn't moving very quickly. Is this going to pick up? Well, it did pick up, and it got picked up rather quickly with guys you know it seemed like the talent kept getting better as the summer months continued on and the roster kept building and then the icing on the cake was the last guy in Keontae Johnson so this is very very preliminary and I guess my thought here is to stay patient you're going to see names jumping in the portal every single day K-State's going to have a lot of interest in a lot of guys but they're not needing 11 they need three, and they're going to get some solid talent. And I think as much interest as K-State has in certain individuals, there's going to be a lot of guys that now want to play for K-State, and that's a great thing to have on your side because K-State's popular now. One of the things that is still an adjustment for me, being a college fan for as long as I have been, seeing conference teams taking guys from other teams in their conference, still – is so unusual to me, even with the open of the portal. You said, that reminded me of a great April Fool's joke I saw on Twitter where the big man from Michigan. Yes. Um, somebody put on Twitter that he was going to transfer to Michigan State. Michigan fans fell for it big time. Beautiful. Hilarious. 
though that's the popularity of K-State, one shining moment featured K-State a couple of times. Keontae Johnson Not on the enough. floor after getting the end one. He's doing the hand thing, the hand shuffle, whatever that is. And then also featured beautifully <laughs> the watch this. I think that was the first time I had seen that footage of actually seeing Marquise you know, lip the words, watch this, to the friend of Isaiah Thomas. And that was before he brought the ball across midcourt mm-hmm. to then argue what appeared to be with Jerome Tang trying to figure out the play, which even though, yes, everybody keeps asking the question, was that a called play? Was that just was that legit fighting? That was obviously a called play. That was designed. You, I don't think Marquise Noel says watch this without it being a designed idea in play, pulling some tricks out of the sleeve of Jerome Tang. You pulled out the ace of spades and the reverse alley-oop dunk from Keontae Johnson in my opinion, is still the play of the tournament. Um, the national exposure that K-State got from the NCAA tournament, Marquise Noel being the darling of the NCAA tournament, the most popular player, K-State now the most popular team. That, I think, is evidence of the direction K-State basketball is heading. I mean, we could listen to Jerome Tang and hear his comments from the press conference today. And he said something about, you know, I, it was never my goal to be coach of the year. My goal was to play in a Final Four and win a national championship. That's things you know you do expect a coach to say, but I think Drum Tang just says it in his own way that you love to hear it, and he just says it better than other people. I think the popularity of K-State is much higher than what it was a year ago. A year ago was hope. Now it's expectation. And a bar, it feels like, has now been set. Woof. Talk about raising the bar about three different levels from where you had it. And it feels good. It It's different, that's for sure. This segment has helped me as I talk about where I feel the popularity now is with K-State. It, I think it's finally released my hangover. It's gone. Poof. I've This segment has been my liquid IV and my, <laughs> and my electrolytes and my Advil. <laughs> Elite ate him over it. It was a fun ride. And for years to come, we're going to talk about it. And it's going to be a lot of fun to look back on it. But it's obviously just getting started. Now, I do actually, in the next segment here as we take a break, want to look back at the men's tournament and how special it was. Man, it, it was a lot more special than I thought it was heading into the, into the uh, national championship game. That's coming up next. Shout out to the Royals finally getting that first dub, being the Blue Jays at the K, and uh, they just needed uh, somebody on that opposing team that they know. That was Whit Merrifield. Who didn't even get in last night. At least was not in the starting lineup. Had to adjust to going to the visitors' clubhouse, coming off the elevator. The door to that clubhouse is not as nice as the Royals. It's just got to be a weird feeling to walk in and go, oh, wait, I'm supposed to take the left here, not the right. Exactly. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's right there in the same area. The, the two doors are, what, 20 feet from each other? Something like that. Yeah. But the Royals is, uh, yeah, it's like, you know, I don't know how to explain it. You're walking through a tunnel. It's like, reminds me of WrestleMania. It's all lit up or like, you know, like K-State's tunnel. It's all lit up in purple, but there's this blue. Nope, just a normal door for the uh, visitors <laughs> there at Kauffman Stadium. But we have uh, the Batcats tonight.
602 first pitch pregame 530 against the Nebraska Cornhuskers at Toyton. Congratulations to the UConn Huskies winning their fifth title in uh, five tries in an NCAA tournament championship game. And by the way, also their fifth since 1999. And all Huskies fans, they're like, oh, we're blue bloods. Show us some respect. Like, well, your women's team. I mean, I think that's the that's the definition of a blue blood. 11 championships since 95. Yeah, yeah I'll get you a blue blood status. UConn wasn't really good at basketball until 99. Well, they were good. Maybe I should say the early 90s. They were they were solid. They just didn't have the big breakthrough. Well, they were they UConn, were a relatively year by year team in the tournament. Well, not before the 90s though. No, not before the 90s. cuz like, you know, No, Jim Calhoun's hiring changed that. Every, yeah, every other what we would call blue blood, yeah, was was definitely a winner before 1990. Now, UConn, yes, has won the most championships in the last 25 years, and, and you definitely got to give them credit for that. If you want to solidify them as a blue blood now, I, I mean, I think it's fair you could argue before last night that they are. I would, uh, especially, my, I mean, my lifetime, UConn basketball has been great in men's and women's action. They, they are the school that's the most dominant for sure in the last – 30 years of men's and women's basketball. I might, I, I actually might touch on women's basketball here in just a moment, but UConn had one of the more dominant runs that we've seen in, in basketball. They, geez, they won by an average of 20 points a game mm-hmm. in the tournament. Mm-hmm. That's insane. Double digit wins every single time. Incredible. I mean, that was, that was uh, easy on the betting line last night. Fifth team since 85 to win all six games by double digits. That was actually more than I thought it would be. But it's still pretty elite company. Now, I thought this was also very interesting. So, UConn, outside of the Big East, played 17 games. They finished that run 17-0. and And they won all those games by double figures. I don't know exactly who all those teams are, but that's still impressive. They played some decent ones in there. Oh, yeah. It wasn't the best NCAA tournament of all time, but man, did it have its moments. It did have the biggest men's basketball upset of all time in Fairleigh Dickinson beating Purdue, a Fairleigh Dickinson team that was, of course, a 16 seed beating a one, second time ever. But that was also a team that shouldn't have been in the tournament. They only got in because uh, Merrimack is not D1 eligible for NCAA championships yet because of their transfer from D2 to D1. And they were also the shortest roster in D1 basketball. And they beat the tallest guy. <laughs> they beat the Naismith Player of the Year in Zach Eady. You did not have a number one or number two seed reach the Final Four. Or a three seed reach the Final Four for the first time ever. Yet Purdue and Arizona leave in the first round. KU Marquette bounced in the second round. Alabama and Houston did not make it to the Elite Eight. So all the all the one seeds did not make it to the Elite Eight, which is pretty stunning. Especially since everybody had either Alabama, Houston, or both in your Final Four. Uh, what else happened? Uh, let's see here. Oh, of course, you know, the Cats making the Elite Eight run. I mean... 
most popular most popular team in the NCAA tournament, most fun to watch. That was kind of predictable, wasn't it? Now, I also thought this was very interesting that um, there was not an AP or not an AP, but there was not a All American player that made the Final Four. First team, second team, third team, not a single one made the Final Four. And I don't think you had a AP. I keep saying AP, uh, All American. First team All American, I don't think reached the Elite Eight, which is pretty uncommon. I think this NCAA tournament had just about everything you could ask for as a basketball fan. The only one that would have would have been Drew Timmy of Gonzaga, uh, and they did not. They didn't make the final. They didn't make the Elite Eight, did no, they? Uh, oh, they did. I guess. Yeah. So okay, so I guess none of them made the Final Four then, right? Which is still pretty crazy. But this tournament still had about everything you could ask for as a basketball fan. Still had its nail biters. Still had its upsets. What made also this year special was that the women's tournament was also very solid. And finally, people were starting to realize that, hey, this women's side of the NCAA tournament has some really good talent. Thanks to Caitlin Clark. Caitlin Clark has been, though, a phenom for the last three years, if you've been paying attention. She also played here in Manhattan, Kansas, and lost to the Cats 82-81 back in November. Now, I was thinking this about this yesterday. It was either that game or K-State, KU, or K-State, Michigan State, the best games I saw in person this year. I honestly might have to give it to K-State Iowa in the women's game as the best game I've seen in person all year, and the other two went to overtime. It was that good of a game that K-State beat the best player in the country in Caitlin Clark. But things really got stirred up because of that player from LSU. Because of, you know, pointing at a ring finger and mocking Caitlin Clark. I loved it. I loved that trash talk. And Caitlin Clark started it. She was the one that did it first. But yet you got a you got a face versus a heel now and both of those players are coming back. I think the women's tournament has been missing a couple of things. And women's basketball, I think, in general, you can also argue this, has been missing a couple of things over the last few years. One of them is star power. Now, this is where I bring up UConn once again. I think women's basketball had a great run in the 90s and the early 2000s, up to about 2010, thanks to UConn, thanks to Tennessee. Pat Summit, a legendary coach, She was the coach there for a while, right? That was the name everybody knew when it came to women's basketball because Tennessee was so dominant, and they won eight titles. And then Gino Oriema comes along, and then he starts to develop the star power. Sue Bird, Diana Taurasi, Maya Moore, who won four national championships. And Gino Oriema has won 11 titles since the mid-'90s. I think too many people think that you know it's women's basketball. It's not as good as men's basketball. It couldn't be as entertaining. Uh, I think women's basketball this year has been extremely entertaining. Caitlin Clark has been a, a big part of that, obviously. But if you look at the NCAA tournament, here's the other thing that's missing, and that is they don't have the upsets that the men's tournament has. 
to give you an example, there's been one 16 over a one upset. There has never been a 14 seed or a 15 seed make the second round of the women's tournament. They've only had seven 13 seeds win the first round. Now, they do have quite a bit of 12 seeds win. That's every year type of thing, like the men's tournament, but they haven't had as many. Well, what makes the NCAA tournament on the men's side so much fun as a casual viewer, even if you don't have your favorite team in, or a big basketball fan, or maybe even not at all? It'll still grab your attention, the crazy upsets. And that's what, it boggles my mind where there's some people that'll throw it out there that, you know, when we get to the Sweet 16 or we get to the Final Four, we should start reseeding. I'm like, that, that really became a topic when we got to this Final Four because some people just couldn't believe, oh my God, we have Florida Atlantic playing San Diego State in one game and then UConn in Miami. Everybody, not every, I shouldn't say everybody, but there were like national people saying, well, the national championship is going to be decided in the UConn-Miami game. I'm like, that's not true at all. I mean, there's a reason. It's not like Florida Atlantic and San Diego State just catwalked and it just easily just got their way into the Final Four. Man, there'd be some really good teams to get there. I would have liked to have seen a Miami-San Diego State matchup myself. Not that the seeding should have been changed at all. I'm just saying that I think it would have been a good matchup. Now, you could you argue that the reason the women's national championship game had its ratings and it peaked at 12 million viewers because the men's Final Four didn't have the name recognition and the star power that it usually does? Maybe, but I would not. It, it, it's the women's reputation that it built in the NCAA tournament this year with Caitlin Clark and just how good the tournament had been with two number one seeds being bounced in the first or in the second round, I think helped generate that. Plus you had South Carolina bidding for an undefeated season going in. Yeah, two one seeds. The other two one seeds were beaten in the semifinals. Mm -hmm. LSU and Iowa both beat one seeds to get to the national championship game. And that's also another thing. Very rarely does a one seed in the women's tournament not play in the national championship game. That was the first time since 2011. A one seed did not play in the national championship game. The women's game is extremely top-heavy. Always has been. Yes. Like the, the best teams in that tournament are always going to the end, it seems like. And UConn has been a huge part of that. We finally got two teams that had never been there before. It was a nice little change of pace. We didn't see the usual suspects, UConn, South Carolina, Baylor, even though now Kim Mulkey is with LSU. There's also another reason why I think that the numbers got skewed the way they did for the women's tournament, and it's not a knock on the women's tournament at all. It's just that there was a different approach this year. The fact that the championship game was on ABC, on over-the-air television, as opposed to it being on ESPN, I think still plays a role. Yeah, and just the the promotion of it. Mm -hmm. You know, the NCAA is now treating the women's tournament like the men's tournament. For example, using March Madness. The women's tournament had not had the March Madness logo anywhere close to it until very recently. Mm -hmm. So just trying to tweet, treat it as equals 
I think has been a big difference. And people are realizing, wow, there is some really entertaining basketball to be watched over here. And I've been trying to say that for years. I've been advocating for it for years. With that being said, heading into next year, all that star power that women's basketball had this year, it's returning. All of it is returning. Which is amazing. Including Aoka Lee, Gabby Gregory, the Glenn Twins, <laughs> Serena Sundell, and K-State is going to have one of, its, one of its best starting fives in a long time. Probably since Oldie, Wecker, Mahoney, Kane, mm-hmm. since, those, since those gals. A long time coming. So keep that in mind when you're maybe scratching your chin about where you're going to be buying season tickets. Buy it all. Football, basketball, buy it all. Number one song of the day. Hey, we're out of 530, so your number one song of the day coming up next. Oh, the Detroit Pistons. They have they have phoned it in officially. 16 and uh, 62 is their record, last place. So they needed a distraction from their terrible basketball, and that is they brought in the greatest American competitor of all time. And I know what you're probably thinking. Abraham Lincoln? Yes, he was a professional wrestler. Was president of the United States, but no. I'm talking about the greatest American competitor of all time, Joey Chestnut. So the Detroit Pistons invited him in, and they had like a guessing game on how many wings, chicken wings that Joey could eat in three minutes and 13 seconds. So every player got a guess. What is your guess? How many many wings do you think he ate in in three minutes and 13 seconds? I'm going to say 95. You're nowhere close. 38. Ooh. But it's still about 10, a little over 10. A minute. He also kind of like gave us a secret on how to eat a flat quickly. He like kind of grabbed the end and popped the top of it and then pulled off the meat off. I was like, that is, of course he would know how to do that because he's Joey Chestnut. He's the best. He represents America. Short hour two next, we're at a 530.